All right, go ahead and get out your Bibles, open up your Bible apps. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, we have Bibles that you can borrow to follow along in. Just put your hand up if you don't have a Bible, and our ushers will get you one that you can use. And uh, if you do not have a Bible of your own, please take that one with you. It's our gift to you. Um, I do want to mention one thing. Um, as Ryan talked about prayer and how uh, there are a lot of needs right now, and there is, uh, there's a lot of prayer going on in this church right now, which is very, very encouraging. Um, there is a table out in the lobby that will be there for the whole month, and that is about our prayer ministry and how you can get more involved in prayer here at Chapel Hill Church. And so uh, take advantage of that. Stop by that table. Um, there are different things you can sign up for if you're interested in. There will be people there that you can talk to. Um, but that's a great way to uh, continue to deepen your connection here at Chapel Hill Church. All right. So now that I know I have permission still to do this, Happy New Year. Um, good to know I'm on the, the last day there. Um, it is once again the start of a new chapter in our lives. And so it seems fitting today that we start a new series of messages, a new chapter in our life as a church, and I am excited to get into this series. Um, to start things off, I'm going to have you all do an exercise at your tables, and this is why you're encouraged to, to get together with others at your table, that kind of thing. So we're going to do something together, and it's going to involve all your participation, and so that's why you're, uh, you're bunched around tables today. So here's what it is. Um, this is, I'm just calling this game Getting to Know You. That's just, a, that means nothing. Um, it, this, is, this is what's going to happen. Right now, I want you to look around your table, and I want you to pick one person, an, an adult, please. Um, you'll understand this as we go on. An adult at your table who is going to be it, okay? You're going to pick a person that's going to be it. That person... Um, and this is why you're going to volunteer for this, through the first round of this exercise, is just going to sit there quietly. They're not allowed to talk. Okay? So at your table right now, pick a person who's going to be it. Do it. <laughs> All right. Time's up. We're not forming committees to decide who gets to be it. We just have one person who is it. Okay? And then we need another person who's going to be a scribe. They are going to write down some answers to some questions that I'm going to give you. So pick a scribe at your table right now as well. All right, time's up. Rapid election process here. Here's what's going to happen. In just a minute, I'm going to release you to do something. And this something is going to come in two rounds. And in the first round, like I said, that person who is it is the person you're going to be talking about and answering questions about. But they have to remain totally silent. If you're it, you cannot speak. The rest of the table is going to answer a whole bunch of questions about you. All right? And you can talk to each other or say it's your spouse and you think you can answer most of those questions. You just go ahead and do that. But the rest of the table has to actually know what you're answering. They might challenge your, your answers to that question. Um, so we're going to go through a two-minute round of answering questions about the person who is it. Okay? It, you're silent, remember? And the rest of you are answering these questions. And on the table is an envelope that looks just like this. And in that envelope is a piece of paper. And on that piece of paper is a list of questions. Again, you only have two minutes, so feel free to skip questions if they're too hard. But these are not hard questions. 
When I say go, you are going to start answering the questions on here and on the screen behind me is a two minute countdown and so you got to keep your eye on the screen and then you're going to quit at two minutes. All right, any questions? Good. Um, are you ready? Go. <laughs> all right, how do you do, how'd you do? How many of you think you got them all? How many of you think they're all right? <laughs> okay, round two. This is where we confirm whether or not you actually got them right. The person who is it is now allowed to speak, and so scribe, read those questions out loud, and it, answer the questions. You have two minutes again, and go. All right, now, the purpose of this exercise hopefully was pretty obvious. There is a big difference between knowing somebody just by learning about them and learning facts secondhand or thirdhand. There's a difference between that and actually getting to talk to somebody and interact with somebody and get to know them that way. It's a whole lot more enjoyable to do it that way and a whole lot more profitable just to know somebody directly. And that is the whole purpose behind this series is we're going to talk about that reality. How do we know God, not just know about God? And for those of you watching online, um, thank you for sharing with me in those awkward two-minute periods where you were just staring at me doing nothing. Um, so thanks for that. Um, all right. The series that we're starting today is all about this principle of knowing God. That's why it's called knowing God. Um, kids at your tables, there are plenty of little activities there if you haven't seen them yet. There are lots of worksheets all about a character that you know from stories that you've probably heard. And we're gonna talk about him in a little bit, um, but you're gonna get to, uh, get to enjoy some good things around the table as we talk as well. All right, knowing God has been a pursuit of mankind ever since Adam and Eve gave in to temptation and were separated from God. It's been something that humankind has wanted to do. God created Adam and Eve and the entire human race to know him. God's plan from the start has been that he is known by us and, and he knows us. And we know him, his created beings know him. And since Adam and Eve, God's been working to reestablish that knowing of each other that was lost. And I think this is a very relevant thing for us to tackle over the coming weeks. I do believe that the experience of knowing God has diminished steadily throughout history. Even in this day and age when we have access to more information and more research and more resources than we ever have had, it seems to me like we're still as a whole lacking a true knowledge of God. And proof of that theory uh, came for me as I was looking through resources to use for this series. Um, I spent the last week up at Trout Lake Camp on a study break. These are really meaningful times for me, and I do deeply appreciate the prayers that came from this church. Um, for that time that I had, they were certainly answered. Uh, my mind is so much more focused when I have just that. It's just me alone, and I get to spend hours during the day and well into the late night um, studying and just getting down to what God is showing me uh, for Chapel Hill, for myself, and um, I work long days doing that, and, and part of this series came out of that and doing that. And this, so before I left, I went through my books on the shelves in my office. 
and I have a, a bookshelf in my office, a couple of them, and they look like this. I'm super organized, as you can tell. Um, I was looking for books in my library that would help me with this series, that would help me to see um, how we can better know God. And after being alarmed by what I discovered, I went down the hall to the church library out here, we do have a library in case you didn't know that, to see what I could find there, and it was the same alarming experience. As a Western culture, we are over-equipped heavily in the area of Christian living and grossly under-equipped, I think, in the area of knowing God. We have a limitless supply of resources about how to live the Christian life, but precious few on how to actually know the one that we're following in the Christian life. So on my shelves, um, I did come across a very relevant book that I read many years ago, and that book has had a big influence on where I'm going this morning, where I'm going to go in the series. It's going to contribute a lot. Um, and I'm going to use it along with other resources that I found, finally. That book is the 50-year-old book, Knowing God, by J.I. Packer, which I, I think is a tremendous, tremendous piece of writing. Packer was a big influence in my life when I was a young man. And uh, there were other authors of the 20th century, like A.W. Tozer and more, that really spoke to me, that really helped me in my own faith. Now think back to our table exercise that we just did. In the first round of that exercise, we were getting to know someone by either gathering answers from others who knew that person or just by guessing. And in that round, we may have come to know some details about that person, but that wasn't a very effective way for us to know them. It takes more. That analogy applies directly to what we're talking about this morning and in this series. We have access to many, many resources that will help us to know a lot about God. We can easily study God. We can study the Christian religion and history. We can study theology. We can quickly become very knowledgeable about God. J.I. Packer wrote that a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. We can know a lot about God without really knowing him very well at all. We can even know a lot about godliness without really knowing God at all. And I believe this is true and that it's become a significant issue in the Western church, an issue that's only growing. My library is evidence that we have a lot of knowledge about God and about the Christian life, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we know him, that we're close to him. So it's my prayer that we'll address this head on in the weeks ahead. We know that there's a danger in attaining knowledge just for the sake of possessing knowledge. Paul understood that and he warned the church even back then about this danger. In 1 Corinthians 8 verses 1 to 3, he wrote this. He said, now considering food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And so the question we're addressing this morning and through this series is, what do we do with all this knowledge that we have, this knowledge of God? Is it just there to make us smarter or more pleased with ourselves or more impressive to the people around us? Or should that knowledge be leading us somewhere? 
That knowledge has to be more than just a possession for us. There's a great word that was introduced to us by the Bible that I think is well worth understanding. It's the word meditate. Meditate. And sometimes we throw this word around without really thinking about what it implies or we just use it the way that the world uses it. But you'll see this word a lot, particularly in the book of Psalms. This word does a good job of bringing together the ideas of knowing about God and knowing God. This meditation is, is what we do with the knowledge that we have and that we're gaining. We often use the word meditating to simply describe the act of reading the Bible. We're meditating. Now, it certainly does involve reading the Bible, but then it takes what we're reading to the next level. It takes it to a relational level. Our Bible reading becomes something that we do with God, not just for God. And God wants us to be doing this with him. Knowing him is a relational endeavor. It is more than just an intellectual endeavor. Meditation is the act of calling to mind, thinking about, dwelling on, and applying the knowledge that we're presented with in the Bible. We take what we learn about God's ways, his works, purposes, and promises, and we bring those things before God. We don't leave him out of the process. It's like we're reading the book with God right there. Meditation happens in the presence of God. We share thoughts, emotions, perspective, different reactions we have to what we're learning with God. We share all that together. We continue, we commune with him over his word as we get into his word. Now, the point is that we're not just gaining knowledge about God, we're gaining knowledge of God. We're getting closer to him in a relationship that's meant to build over the span of our earthly lives. We know him better as he knows us, and we're going to talk more about that next week. All right, turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. I want to take some time to direct us to a couple of biblical examples of people who got this idea of knowing God. So turn first to Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. We'll look briefly at a familiar passage from the New Testament. This is Paul talking about all that he gained in life as an influential leader. He had quite a history. He accomplished things that would make most people really jealous of him at that time, in spite of who he had become before meeting Jesus. And then he has this incredible change of heart when he does meet Jesus, and there was something that became more important and more valuable to him than anything in his past, the past that he had left behind. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. Paul writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." Paul understood very clearly the value of knowing God, of knowing Jesus. 
He wanted a relationship with him. That desire transformed his perspective on what he had to give up to know Jesus. Knowing God became central to Paul. It's one of the characteristics of someone who knows God. They don't dwell on what they lost to become a follower of Jesus. They just want to know Jesus. Now, some of us have experienced what it means to lose things for the sake of knowing God. Being a follower of Jesus can come with a cost. We know that. Jesus made that clear. In this day and age, sometimes followers of Jesus give up the quest for a lucrative career because it's not what God wants for them. Sometimes status is lost for the sake of the integrity that God expects from us and creates in us. The, the freedom to be what the culture around us is becoming is a cost that we pay. We can't always do what everyone else seems to be doing, like making themselves the center of the universe striving for wealth and power by any means, investing all their resources in things that only benefit themselves, living this life like it's all there is. We may lose relationships. There's a cost here. Now, Paul gave us a great picture to address this. What Paul had before he met Jesus and lost after he met Jesus was given a label. What did he call it? rubbish, or in some translations, dung. As someone who knew God and wanted to know him more, Paul had adopted some clear perspective regarding his losses. They weren't things that he missed. He called them dung. So, in a desire to be literal, and help this really go home. I brought an object lesson. Thankfully, my wife works at this hobby farm which has therapy animals and they have horses. And so I said, wife, would you please bring home some dung for me? And so this is manure, this is horse manure. Here's, oh, I can smell it up here. <laughs> Thought that was airtight. Here's the point that Paul is making. Everything that he had, that he clung to before he met Christ, that he had to give up for the sake of knowing God, Paul took a certain stand regarding those things, a certain perspective. And this was not Paul's perspective. He did not sit there with his former stuff and go, oh, I miss you so much. He didn't pine over what he lost. This had no more value to him. If he saw it as, oh my goodness, I've had to give up so much to follow Jesus, and then he was mad all the time about what he had to give up, that's one thing, and Paul's painting a completely different picture. He took everything from his past, all these great accomplishments, the power and influence that he had, the status that he had, and he labeled it, Dung, rubbish. And he said, that means nothing to me anymore. I'm not going to grieve the loss of that. That is the perspective of someone who knows God. They're not looking back on their past and going, I miss those days so much. That was so much fun. They're looking now and going, what I have in knowing God is worth everything to me. The rest that I've left behind 
is nothing. It's garbage. It's dumb. All Paul wanted was to know God and to know Jesus. The rest fell into place. That's what someone who knows God is like. All right, and then there's Daniel. We're going to talk about Daniel a little bit. Daniel is a great example of someone who knows God. From Daniel's life, we can gain a lot about the characteristics of someone who truly knows God. This gives us something to look for when we look in the mirror and evaluate ourselves. Um, This was a very personal exercise for me this past week as I was on my study break. How do I know God? Do I know God like Daniel knows God? It's one thing to talk about the value of knowing about God, and to some degree we can all say we know God, but there's a significant challenge facing us as we move from knowing about God to truly knowing God. I mean, after all, we can't even see him. This is a challenge. It's not like knowing someone who is right here in our lives. And so we're looking for something that's going to help us know if this is true about us and to what degree. Do we know God? Daniel's life gives us a good model to look at and we need that because as I may have said too many times already, this is not about knowing more about God. This is about knowing God more. So here are four characteristics real quick of someone who knows God, and this is a brief summary only. Um, While I I was away um, for the past week, I read the book of Daniel again. Um, I have studied that book in the past in Bible college. That course that I took then was all about the prophetic imagery in the book of Daniel. It wasn't about how well Daniel knew God, and so I needed to go back. This time I was looking for evidence of Daniel's closeness with God. Not hard to see. It was really obvious in his story. Well, first, Daniel had a very obvious passion for God. In one of his prophetic passages, Daniel stated that those who know God stand firm and take action. Daniel's life was a testimony to this. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stood up and took action in opposition to a king who had no respect for God. Book of Daniel opens with Daniel and his friends being taken captive and ordered to eat from the king's table to make them stronger and smarter. They not only refused, they trusted God to use their resistance, and he did. God worked in partnership with them to make a huge impact, resulting in the, three, in the four of them holding positions of power, not just being prisoners anymore. And then at one point, Prayers to anyone but the king were banned for one month. Now, kids, many of you have heard this story. Daniel not only disobeyed the king and prayed to God, Daniel even did it in front of an open window where everyone would see him. And what happened to Daniel? He was thrown into a den full of hungry, vicious lions. And then what happened? Daniel survived. Daniel knew God and his passion for God was evidence of that. Now the second characteristic that we see from Daniel, someone who knew God, was focus. In everything that Daniel taught the king and that his friends stated as well and that Daniel prayed, there was a very, very clear truth. God was the only true God and he reigned. He was on the throne. Period. Nothing challenged that. Nothing moved Daniel and his friends from that foundation. 
God is sovereign. God rules. We just sang about this. All hail King Jesus. There is no one else. Daniel's focus was crystal clear. The third character quality of someone who knows God is boldness. There's a common theme running through the book of Daniel and the stories of Daniel and his three friends. They are bold. They stand up for the truth to a king. They were willing to speak when something was wrong. They opened their mouths. They were willing to speak when God's truth needed to be heard. They were bold. And the fourth characteristic that I want to highlight is contentment. Daniel and his friends knew God and God knew them. And in that assurance, they were willing to accept whatever came their way. Now, kids, here's another story that you've probably heard. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to worship the golden statue that the king had made, what happened to them? They were thrown into a very hot fire, a furnace that was heated up to seven times its normal temperature. When the king told them what was going to happen to them because of their refusal, listen to what their response was. They told the king that God would deliver them, but they also said that even if God chose not to deliver them, it didn't matter. They would remain faithful to the one that they knew. No matter what happened, They were content in their relationship with God, in knowing God and being known by Him. Now, Chapel Hill, there is no questioning the fact that we need God. We need this relationship. We need to know God. We need to be close to Him. We need more of Him, not just to know more about Him. We need to know Him by experiencing Him, not just learning about Him. We will learn more about him, there's no question, but my desire is that we practice taking what we learn about him and we apply it to actually knowing him and getting closer to him, more personal with him. Together, church, we will seek him, and as he promised, those who seek him will find him. He can be found by us and we can know him, and that's what this series is all about. Will you take a moment now with me and let's pray together. Father, it is our desire, and I trust it's the desire of every one of us, to know you and to be known by you. To live in such closeness with you that we truly share this relationship in a deep personal way. That we know you by experience, not just by understanding. That we know who you are, not just things about you. And that over the period of the next weeks here, that we will just draw close to you and you will draw close to us. You did invite us in your word to draw near to you and you would draw near to us. And that's what we want through this series. And so I pray, Lord, that for those of us who have a tendency to get hung up on how much we know, let us bring into balance that reality of of who we know and how well we know you. God, make yourself known to us 
draw us close into an experience of truly knowing you. We commit this series to you. We commit this year to you. We commit ourselves, this church to you. And just ask for that to happen, that we would know you more than we've ever known you. We ask for this in the name of the one who made this knowing possible, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son.